Hello, and welcome back to Learn It From a Layman. I am Carl Christensen, joined tonight by Matt, Tim, and Ian for the first time. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Carl. Good to be here. Yeah. Uh, Ian, I, we've all given most other family members that have joined the podcast the option of not like claiming relationship, but <laughs> I'm not going to give you the option. I've already outed you. We are related. So, but no one knows how. And, uh, <laughs> exactly. We'll leave it ambiguous. That they don't, although my last name is also Christensen. So um, that might, you know, I could be a brother, I could be your cousin. Right. Fourth cousins could have the same last name. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. if, this, if, this, if this podcast goes poorly, it will, the relationship will become further and further distant. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> good. good. So, uh, we appreciate Ian coming on. Ian has, um, so we often have my friend Johnny on, Ian. Uh, he's uh, also, he's a medical doctor. Uh, but Ian has a specialty in uh, ophthalmology, which I just learned how to say from Ian. Um, there are a bunch of letters in that word that don't seem to belong, but um, we, we can revisit that later. So, Ian, you just are, have you finished residency? Are you uh, in practice now? I'm in my final year of residency at the uh, University of Southern California, Roski Eye Institute. So, um, I. Uh, I guess I, I can, you want me to introduce myself now? Please do, uh, yes. Well, I mean, I, I uh, went to uh, Brigham Young University for undergraduate and then went to medical school at the University of Utah and then came out here to LA. Honestly, there's not much more to be said, but uh, uh, my dad was on the, was here on the podcast and, you know, let me just say, I'm pretty shocked that you didn't invite me earlier. Uh, <laughs> obviously have, I, I must have too much expertise to be That's considered- it a true layman and that's yeah, why that's correct reluctant to invite me on yes so, and that's we why most we got of your... our fans when they don't get invited on here it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Too expert. Too i don't think ian counts as a fan you're intimidated uh you're intimidated <laughs> by me yeah which is you know that's why you know people don't get dates and that kind of thing so well i don't uh, actually think we have fans either but whatever <laughs> what, what is we your have uh, fan though <laughs> yeah you're a fan um what is what is your other friend um what is he what is his specialty pediatrics organization. Oh, okay. well, nice. so he's a real doctor um, <laughs> and uh, i am an eye dentist which uh, <laughs> is sort of somewhat derogatory way that we get referred to but in fact that's only um by other doctors who wish that they could be ophthalmologists because, that's right um, <laughs> you know, you may hear that there's no perfect specialty, but that's uh, actually incorrect. Um, <laughs> is the best specialty. Um, so yeah, we you know we specialize in diseases uh, and surgery of the eye. Um, so uh, diagnosing, treating um, disease of the eye. We do do uh, we do prescribe glasses as well, but that's more the purview of optometry. Um, okay. You know, and I have I have a whole list of questions for you, Ian. So I'm gonna we're, I'm gonna hit you with a few of these these very randomly generated by by the thoughts uh, of uh, that come late at night to me. Um, so you already started telling us a little bit about ophthalmology and optometry. Uh, mm-hmm. What? Sorry. So the di- different difference between optometrist and there's another type of eye doctor too, isn't there? 
Um, there's a few different terms. Uh, there's opticians, they, they make glasses, and then uh, there's like orthoptists, and they're like kind of like NPs or PAs for ophthalmologists, and they do, um, they, they, you know, depending on the practice setting, they do various things in the clinic, and then, but yeah, the, I mean, the two main eye care providers are optometry and ophthalmology. And do you, uh, when, at what point do you like specialize in ophthalmology versus um, like, a, a, is that just in residency where you start uh, splitting out from more general medicine? Is that earlier in medical school? No, yeah, exactly. So optometry is distinct from medicine because they, you know, that once they finish their bachelor degree, they go to optometry school, kind of like dental school. So they have four-year optometry school, um, which is completely uh, separate from from medical school. And then ophthalmology is a subspecialty of medicine. So um, our specialty of medicine in that uh, you go to four years of medical school after after university, and then you uh, can choose to go into ophthalmology. Ophthalmology is a pretty small field. Um, each year, I think there's about 468 or so slots in the country. Um, so there's only in at any one time, and it's four year residency. So at any one time, there's around 2000 ophthalmology residents uh, in the US. And then um, uh, in terms of numbers of actual practicing ophthalmologists in the U.S., something around 20,000. But um, but yeah, you you know, you you go to medical school, you learn all the same stuff everyone else does, and then you forget 95 percent of it and focus on uh, <laughs> one organ. Right, right. Which sounds, uh, sounds like a waste, but, you know, it's really <laughs> it's kind of nice. If I remember correctly, in your first year of residency, you didn't get to do anything related to the eye. It was the first year of the COVID uh, pandemic, and you were out there doing actual doctor things, right? Unfortunately, yes. Um, we Everyone has to do an intern year. And so internship you um, uh, is relatively you know, distinct. And, I, and it's, you know, it's meant to kind of give you a solid foundation of medicine, I guess. Um, but with potentially the... Um, Side, the side benefit to the hospital of having low uh, low cost labor um, on the wards to put in orders and manage uh, manage patients on the floor. So um, not the actual floor, but the medicine floor. So yeah, I did. I was at White Memorial Medical Center, which is just down the street from USC, and uh, did a year during COVID um, in ICU and in, on on the wards. And uh, yeah, uh, you know. I can't say it was super relevant to what I'm doing now, but uh, it was it was an experience for sure. Right. Well, I'm sure that was uh, you were very useful at the time, and good job for being a doctor, and then forgetting all of that and just treating people's eyes. Yes, thank you. Well, you know, uh, I was a healthcare hero, and uh, now <laughs> I'm just an eye dentist. So. <laughs> good. Good. Well, you you. Uh, uh, your specialty, like you said, it, it's a very cush, cushy job as far as doctors go, is my understanding, is you don't have to deal with the late night calls. Uh, I mean, literally, you do less work than Tim. Is that correct? Uh, wow. You know, tell that to my residency director. I'd really appreciate it if uh, <laughs> they heard that that's what's supposed to be happening. Uh, you know, I, I will. Think, <laughs> I would hope, I hope very much to be doing less work than Tim someday. 
Uh, I don't know how much time works, but it, it's probably too much. And Very little. I would rather do less than, than he. Doesn't he get like three months off in the I, summer where he doesn't have to do anything? I do just yeah, try to think of the summertime and ignore everything else. And then I'm doing pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, no. Well, you know, during at least during residency, we at so my... Um, University of Southern California, we have a, a partnership with LA County Hospital, which is recently rebranded to LA General Hospital for some reason, but whatever. And uh, it's one of the bigger hospitals here, um, safety net hospitals in Los Angeles. And so we, we're we like the primary care eye providers for uh, millions and millions of people here. And, uh, you know, they uh, come into the emergency room at all hours and nobody really knows what to do with the eyeballs because uh, I think we spend it. Uh, you know, if you have an eye curriculum at all during medical school, it's like maybe a couple days to a week. Oh, wow. And so the emergency room physicians are are uncomfortable, <laughs> shall we mm. say, uh, in looking with and looking at and dealing with the disease of the eye. So, uh, you know, our first uh, year, we take primary call at LA County and uh, it's, it's pretty awful. Uh, we take once a week, 24 hour call. And uh, they just call us all day and all night, and it's pretty relentless. And you have to see all the oh, consorts, and it, it's pretty high acuity too. You know, you, like when, once you're in private practice and you're just seeing your patients, you're like, you know, you got your dry eyes and cataracts, just like you know, routine stuff. But at County, we have just all the most ridiculous eye pathology you can imagine, or stuff you can't even imagine. I showed up my first day having no experience and taking call the very first week for 24 hours, and we have backup call i'm back up now for some first year residents as a senior resident but and you know they obviously came in and helped us out a lot but there were terms we use a lot of acronyms and there's a lot of new stuff and there were terms that i'd never heard before and uh was having and and you know part of the and the exam is hard you know you have to look at the eye through we use a microscope we use a silent microscope and we use uh what's called an indirect ophthalmoscope um and uh, you know, special specialized lenses uh, to look at the retina, and just like getting everything lined up and being able to really examine the eye is is a challenge in and of itself. And so, having to do that and then treat the treat these complex conditions at the same time is pretty awful it, for the whole year, honestly, because it's just you just anyway. I just wish that uh, I just I just wish that you know Tim could experience it so he could stop talking trash about, uh, <laughs> about my job. <laughs> I, Tim is I'm sorry, but we gotta we gotta lash out at someone. You know, we're educators, we're a bitter bunch. And true. Well, I, you I can, you can come to my workplace then you can, you can find out just how bitter you can get. <laughs> we we just have settled on eye dentists as a an easy patsy to to slap. <laughs> I, and it um, seems the be, the best comparison to public education is a medical doctor, a ophthalmologist. I mean, those are like the very, very similar pay scales and, and you know, job requirements. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. very true. Very true. <laughs> now, Ian, a, a serious uh, question. Right? What it, tell us one like the the craziest or, or most unusual uh, scenario that you experienced uh, during your time working there in the in the emergency room. Um, let's see. You know, I think it's kind of tough to really relay some some of this stuff because it's so like it's kind of rarefied. But I, you know, I can. There was one experience I remember in particular. There was a woman who came in who had uh, she 
lost a lot of vision in both eyes. I think she was something like, you know, once you go from 20-20 vision, right, you can see, you can see at 20 feet what, what the average person can see at 20 feet. And that's like, that's considered good vision, right? So, and then there's like a, a, a bell curve and you, you, when you're dropping off of it and you get, you know, you go to 2040, 2060, 2080, 2100. And then uh, once you can't see 2400, then we start seeing your count fingers vision. And then after count fingers vision, your hand motion vision. And then if you can't see the motion of the hand, then your light perception. And then after that, your no light perception. So true blindness is no light perception. So this lady was around count fingers vision and uh, she, you know, was kind of, uh, was didn't really know what was going on and, and wanted, uh, you know, us to figure out and looked in the back of the eye, there's a lot of inflammation. And uh, I said, decided to get her tested for syphilis. Um, and it, we sent a lot of tests when there's inflammation in the eye, which was positive. And so I had her come back and I told her that, you know, she had a syphilis infection, uh, which, which when it involves the eyes, essentially neurosyphilis, we consider it to like involve the brain as well. So you have to treat that with two weeks of IV antibiotics. Um, and, uh, she, she like was, she like leaned in and was like, she said, could this be uh, related to 5g? And cause like with all the stuff going on <laughs> out there, and I was like, you know, <laughs> I can't, I said, you know, I can't, I can't rule it out. I can't rule it out. <laughs> <laughs> That's just one experience, but you know, we deal with all kinds of crazy stuff. I mean, the others, all the other stuff, it's just like the, it's the volume. I think that's, that's really, um, that's mm. really the, the difficult part of, of history. So. Okay. So we just got it from an ophthalmologist that 5G is going to affect our vision, right? Right. 5G. <laughs> and right. It's a yeah. conspiracy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's all interrelated. You heard it here first, folks. All right. <laughs> I just broke some news on learning from a layman. That's right. That's right. Scoop. So they, 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 they're not talking the... about this on the mainstream media, guys. Yeah. <laughs> you got to get hushing it up. I feel like we should actually put a disclaimer. Do not be the kind of person that believes this kind of stuff if you are then you are the type of person who may just have a syphilitic eye infection <laughs> it does make life you know more interesting um but Definitely. yes uh, so going from the 5g syphilis story uh let's go to a little bit more of the layman understanding of eyes which is much worse than you said that that you know your your normal um doctors in the emergency room are afraid to treat the eyes i think most laymen are completely in the dark yes. see what i did there um or rather maybe they're blind to the intricacies mm, okay all right i like it um can you tell us okay so i the, the layman knows there's different parts of the eye i think the layman knows that there's a retina that's about as far as the layman might go. Can you tell us the different parts of the eye and kind of what their function is? Sure. So um, at the very front of the eye, you have uh, the cornea, right? So the cornea is the clear part of the eye that you can see through. Um, behind the cornea, uh, the cornea has five layers. I won't get into too much detail here, but, you know, uh, that, that if you really wanted to, we could talk, you know, the five layers of the cornea, but behind the cornea, you have what we call the anterior chamber of the eye, and that's full of aqueous humor, this fluid uh, inside the inside the eye. And then you have the iris, um, which is obviously the colored part of the eye, and then there, there's an aperture in the middle, that's the pupil. Behind the pupil, you have uh, the lens, 
And so the lens is actually sits behind the iris um, and it's, hmm. it's clear, you can't really see it. You look under the microscope and uh, behind that you have a big cavity um, and that that's the posterior segment of the eye. And that's full of vitreous humor, which is kind of like a jelly uh, substance, um, kind of like a proteinaceous uh, aqueous jelly um, in the back of the eye. And then behind that is the retina. And then in the middle, well, somewhere in the retina, there's the optic nerve, um, where all of the nerves from the retina kind of congregate, and the optic nerve travels to your brain. So that's kind of front to back eyeball. I mean, I guess other than outside the cornea, you have what's called the sclera or the white part of the eye. On top of the sclera, you have a membrane called the conjunctiva. That's, and that's pretty much it. That's, you know, that sounds more complicated than it is. So front of the <laughs> eye, cornea, we'll go cornea, iris, lens, vitreous humor, retina. That's kind of the, uh, those are the, the big hits. Okay. I, I've not heard many of those words before in my life. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to believe. <laughs> uh, okay, so the um, I guess a lot of laymen, obviously, their interaction with with different parts of the eye might be, um, you know, using contacts uh, or uh, do getting laser eye surgery. Have you done laser eye surgery before? Um, if I had, then I would want my money back as I sit here uh, with a pair of glasses on. But, uh, uh, sorry, I don't mean like, has it been done to you? I mean, have well, you have I performed done? laser Have you performed surgery? it? Yeah. Uh, I have performed various types of laser eye surgery, but I have not done uh, LASIK, which I think is what you're referring to, LASIK or PRK, okay. or any of the corneal refractive procedures, which is what is basically is the term for um, correcting your vision using a laser. I've seen it done a lot, um, but I've never done it myself. So you've done, okay. So once again, this is my layman. This is why it's called learning from a layman, Ian. Uh, I didn't even know there were different types of laser eye surgery. I thought they were all LASIK. You mean, you do other types of surgeries to do what? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, there's a lot of, we use lasers a lot in ophthalmology. There's, uh, different, different types of lasers that we use. So, uh, there's what we call femtosecond laser. Um, which is used in uh, these, this, these refractive procedures. Basically what it does is creates like these micro explosions in space. And uh, Matt might know more about the specifics of how these lasers work. I don't know. I just use them. I'm a lay person. So. Um, <laughs> we actually but, uh, had a, we had a laser podcast. So Matt did discuss lasers a little bit with us. That's what I heard. And then I went back to look at it and I couldn't find it. So I guess I just, oh. maybe I need, maybe I need some laser vision correction. <laughs> but uh, the, yeah, so, you know, these, uh, the femtosecond laser creates these kind of micro explosions and uh, you can use it to create uh, basically, um, basically cutting, cutting into the cornea is typically what it's used for. You can also use it to break up the lens. And so that, that one you use to create for LASIK, for instance, you use that to create a flap. Um, and then you lift the flap. So you're creating a flap. It's like a partial thickness of the cornea. So the cornea is like a clear tissue. You're creating partial thickness cut, and then you flip up the flap and then you use a, um, photoablative laser treatment, uh, with, with what's called an eczema laser. Um, and that basically shapes the cornea. Um, so that you're bending the light properly to focus on your retina. So you're basically changing the shape of the front of the eye and then you put the flat back and that's, and then you're done. So that's, that's the, that's LASIK. 
but there's other types of surgery. PRK, you may have heard of. Um, that one is, uh, is you basically, you, you have to remove the entire epithelium or the, the very like surface of the, of the cornea. And then you use that ablative treatment I was telling you about to reshape the cornea and then it just grows back, the epithelium grows back. But that's a little bit more painful. And then, but we use lasers for other stuff too. So uh, we do, we often do something called PRP for patient with, uh, with, with um, diabetic disease in the eye. Uh, PRP is photo uh, panretinal photocoagulation. It's a very long uh, term, but basically you use a laser to, an, it's an argon laser um, to burn uh, the parts of the retina that are not uh, not really responsible for central vision. And uh, and that's for, you know, reasons that, I mean, I guess we can get into if we want to talk about diabetic eye disease. But uh, so I, I've done that hundreds of times. And then you, you, we also use like a, a YAG laser, um, which is like a, uh, correct me here, Matt, it's like a, it's like elements. crystal. Yeah, exactly. It's like crystal Magic elements. Sorry, yes, magic. It's like a magical <laughs> element that uh, it creates also these uh, little explosions um, in space uh, when you focus these two, basically two, two lasers on each other. And then they, uh, and then you can use that to um, uh, essentially, uh, you can either use it to create holes in the iris, which can be useful in some circumstances. There's sometimes a membrane will form on the uh, behind um uh, a lens in the eye. Anyway, you use it basically to manipulate tissue in the eye without actually going into the eye. Um, so there's a lot of different lasers that we use. It's, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool stuff. Wow. If only I knew as much uh, about what the la how the lasers worked as uh, how to work the lasers. Well, well, you can always listen to our podcast. It's true. You know, I, I just need <laughs> to find it and then I will. <laughs> That's uh yeah, we shamelessly self-plug our own podcast on our podcast all the time. So, uh, it's uh, okay. Might what? conjecture a couple things that are probably wrong. So, um, I suspect, and I've never dealt with these lasers myself, so I could be way off. But when you talk about FEPTO second lasers, you're talking about uh, essentially the amount of time for which it activates which is a femtosecond, which is not very long. And yes. so what you get is instead of a beam of light, you kind of get like a light pancake. And uh -huh. that's really good because if you had a beam of light, it would very quickly burn right through your eyeball and that would be terrible. Whereas if you have controlled little femtosecond pulses, you can be very precise and actually do stuff to the eye without blinding the person. Mm. Yes. Um, yes, that is, that is, that sounds about right to me. Uh, so, I mean, so the, yeah, I mean, the femtosecond laser is used in either, uh, like manipulating the, um, the cornea, which is that front layer, or you can use it to, um, assist you in cataract surgery as well, um, in, in either creating, uh, the, you know, the, 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 a cataract is basically when the lens, which is behind the iris gets cloudy. Um, and then that, then we call it a cataract. Um, uh, but yeah, it basically emits these pulses of light, as Matt was saying, duration of a femtosecond range or a quadrillionth of a second. So, um, it uses, uh, 
I'm, I'm uh, you know, maybe we should ask chat GPT how it works and then we can get into more details, but you know, this isn't really, a, this isn't a laser podcast, you know, maybe we should just go <laughs> for that one. <laughs> yeah, we need to hit But I, I believe it just, uh, it creates, you know, because depending on the wavelength, the intensity, uh, it can, um, it basically cr creates these, uh, like I, it actually ionizes the, the uh, material and forms plasma uh, of this, of the tissue. So, um, so great amount of energy, but in very controlled bursts. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I do the, the idea of LASIK has already, has always made me uncomfortable. The idea that you just said, and I've heard before the word flap of in your eye, it seems inappropriate and kind of gross. Uh, <laughs> I can understand that. Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly I haven't had it done yet, but that's mostly, uh, <laughs> Well, hey, wait till you hear about the natural body processes that you go through every day, starting with the duodenum. Duodenum. Uh, uh, is this a reference duodenum. to another uh, another podcast? A recent episode. It is. It is the basics of organs. Mm. Hey, if, if I can ask uh, on a somewhat serious nature, um, and and I apologize if we're derailing away from the pre-planned questions, but. Um, you know, jumping into LASIK, uh, I've, I've, you know, I know that it can be very effective in restoring uh, visual acuity, um, but I've also, I also understand that those effects may not be permanent. Can you talk to what does and doesn't make those kind of corrections last? Yeah. So, um, part of the issue. And uh, part of the issue is that LASIK will change the shape of the cornea, right? To focus, to better focus light on the on the fovea, which is the part of the retina that is responsible for really um, sharp central vision. Um, and uh, when and so it, typically it'll work very very well. But um, part of one of the reason why one of the reasons why people might say it fades with time is some is a concept called presbyopia or basically your eyes getting old, um, and that refers to um, the mechanism. So in the mechanism of the lens and changing shape and focusing the focusing power of the eye uh, and changing the focusing power of the eye. So when you're when you're a little kid or when any time basically people under the age of forty, you know the lens um, can change shape you have muscles that change the shape of the lens and the lens is flexible and the lens is uh is the you know this like crystalline protein structure that sits that sits behind the iris and so you can change the shape of the lens to look far away and up close and so when you're looking far away the lens will kind of flatten out it's not fitting the light as much and when you're looking up close the lens will sort of condense and the, and it shifts and it, it bends the light a little bit more and so you're able to focus uh, both close up and far away, and, you can, and your eye can shift back and forth between up, up close and far away uh, with no difficulty. But after the age of 40, uh, your lens is uh, begins, you know, starting to undergo these changes, which makes it more rigid, and so you're not actually able to bend or change the shape of the lens anymore. And so that's why people over the age of 40 start needing to use reading glasses uh, because they can't accommodate. We call it accommodation when they're you know changing that their focus between near and far um so that is one reason why people might say lasik doesn't work uh after a certain age um because there's no uh there's no great fix for presbyopia other than bifocals 
or reading classes. So if you even if you have LASIK, you might be 20-20 at distance. Um, but then once you get to a certain age, you're going to need reading glasses anyway. And that's true for pretty much everyone. So um, so that's one that's one mechanism. The other thing is, you know, sometimes the, the shape of the cornea will change. Uh, the structure of the cornea uh, is, is not necessarily uh, as rigid in some people. And so you are changing the shape of the cornea with LASIK and then it might relax or, you know, there's just various reasons for which it would uh, your treatment would, would regress and you would need a touch up or something like that. But, uh, but typically the, the treatment effect is fairly durable for most people, like, you know, 10, 15, 20 years until they start getting a little bit presbyopic, we say, or they, you know, start needing reading glasses. Oh, thank you. Yeah. That is uh, illuminating. Mm -hmm. Nice. Okay. A couple more layman questions for you, Ian. Um, I wear contacts. Obviously I see you wearing glasses right now. Are there, benefits to wearing glasses over contacts in particular one that i believe i've been told before is wearing my contacts you know while i'm asleep is a, is a bad idea um why and what else am i doing to my eyes when i'm wearing contacts uh you know contacts are pretty safe they're a good solution to uh, correct your refract we call it refractive error or you know your inability to see without glasses uh, they're a good solution, you know, some, for some people, yeah, if you're sleeping in them, that's bad, right? You, you can get bacteria in there. I've seen more than my fair share of corneal ulcers, uh, that form, uh, bacterial infections of the cornea that form, uh, in people that use their contacts incorrectly. And that can basically, that can blind you pretty, pretty quickly without the proper treatment. So, uh, so that's certainly a risk that you don't have with glasses. Uh, some people have dry eyes and that makes it tough for them to use contacts. I've tried using contacts in the past and I think my eyes just got too dry or maybe they're too sensitive. I think when you wear contacts for a while, your sensitive, your corneal sensitivity also, uh, tends to decline a little bit as well. You know, you're not, you don't you don't really feel them as much. And I don't really know if that has any ill effects, but it's just one, you know, one, uh, effect of, of wearing contacts sure. chronically yeah interesting okay but there, you know there are lots of different types of contacts too and uh and um, many of them are medically necessary and so i think they're they're a very uh very useful technology you mentioned that as you age your eye changes do you, do your eyes generally as you get older do they are do you have more issues with dry eyes as you age absolutely yeah that's just why is that uh well i think there's, there are like two uh, mechanisms where, by which that happens. One is, you know, you're not maybe producing enough tears. And um, uh, the other is that they're just drying more quickly. So it's kind of like, you know, if you're in a drier environment, then your, your eyes are going to dry, dry out faster. And then if you're not producing enough tears, your eyes are going to dry out faster. Uh, and typically as you age, I think you're, you're, um, for whatever reason, your your lacrimal glands, uh, which produce the tears, are not as active. Or they're they, uh, and then you you also have oil glands in your eyes um, that uh, in your eyelids, sorry, that uh, produce what we call uh, mybum or mybomian glands. And they produce this uh, oil. It's very important to coat the surface of the eyes and make it uh, make your tears stay on the surface of the eyes. Uh, better and this you know people are like oh yeah you know uh, whatever you know dry eyes no big deal but some people are 
really profoundly affected by this. And, and uh, you can actually have really, really poor vision if your eyes are too dry. The tear film is very, very important. So um, for whatever reason, those, those glands can get blocked, uh, especially as you age. Um, and so that can be, that can be an issue, but yeah, you know, I, I uh, so, it's for the same reason, everything kind of breaks down as you age, I guess. So, so crying more is not the solution. As you, you know, uh, ironically enough, people with dry eyes complain of crying a lot, <laughs> tearing, <laughs> right. You know, it's like, Oh, why, you know, like, how are my eyes dry? I, I'm, I'm tearing up all the time and the body's trying to compensate for not mm -hmm. having a good tear film. And so it's producing all these extra tears that, you know, were running down the face, but they're not really helping to uh, alleviate the dryness. So huh. unfortunately, no, uh, um, tra tragedy is not the solution. <laughs> so no, no Shakespearean tragedies are not going, are not the prescription for dry eyes. Yeah. I mean, no, we don't, we don't just say, you know, go home, watch sad <laughs> movies, read sad <laughs> books, think of sad. It's like when your eyes are getting dry, just try and think of the, the worst and most depressing thought you can. It's like the opposite of Peter Pan, right? Like instead of focusing on the happy thoughts, it's, it's think of a miserable thought. Yeah, that's what we say. <laughs> Any miserable little thought will do. <laughs> the song not quite as catchy, but um... yeah, well, I, you know, if only they could have like dismal, maybe that would work better, at least in, in terms of the uh, the uh, but, syllables. Yeah, well, I I can cry, I can cry, I can cry. You know, yeah. it seems. Okay. We could, yeah, we could do this. Yeah, we could do a we little do educational video. We could show it to our patients in the clinic. Yeah. Seems the way to go. Okay. Well, you're welcome. Um, okay. Uh, rubbing my eyes. I've heard that rubbing your eyes uh, can have bad effects. Is that true or is that a wife's tale? Um, it depends, is the answer. So you probably, you may have seen that viral video going around of like the people with like the MRI. You maybe you didn't see that one, but it was like someone just taking MRI while they rub the eyes and like they, they the, you know, the, it was basically retropulsing the globe into the orbit. So you're just like pushing the eye back and, and, uh, you know, it looks gross and people are like, oh my gosh, like look what you're doing to your eyes. But like in reality, you know, we, humans rub their eyes all the time and they have been for as long as humans have been around and most of the time you know your eye can be pretty tough there's one there is one circumstance where that can be a problem if you're really vigorously rubbing them a lot a lot and typically people don't do that uh but some people with like severe allergies might do that um and uh or with behavioral uh developmental issues um that can be a problem and uh, people with what's called keratoconus. Um, keratoconus is a condition where the, for whatever reason, the structure of the cornea is not as rigid as it should be. And so as you, um, it, you know, it usually starts around, you know, teenage years and it progresses. So your eye, you know, becomes your care, your, uh, your cornea uh, becomes more conical uh, and, and rubbing that, rubbing your eyes accelerates that process as well. So if you have keratoconus, then you absolutely should not be rubbing your eyes uh, as well. And that, you know, even in people who have okay corneas, if you're really doing it so, so like, you know, a lot, but for the vast majority of people, it's not really a problem. It's probably not the best thing to do, but you know, might be introducing bacteria in, in there and stuff and we're likely to get conjunctivitis and that kind of thing. But mm, it's not okay. like, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go on like a, you know, public health uh, tour to warn about the danger <laughs> of eye rubbing. <laughs> I mean, we've got plenty of other issues going on, trust me. 
right. like uh, right. diabetes, for instance. I think, you know, if we gave people more instruction about not getting diabetes, I think that would probably go further. Useful, useful. I think yeah. that would be probably a better uh, use of everyone's time. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Maybe okay. yeah. people like to eat sugar, so. <laughs> That's what I've heard. Yeah. Um, I might have sugar literally right there. Um, uh, just, uh, just for you to consume, huh? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I work in front of the computer all day in, and I, I have to have it like at arm's distance. I'm not diabetic though yet, so I'm okay, right? Yeah, well, for now, yeah. For I like now. how you use the word yet, yeah. <laughs> yet, yet being the operative word, yes. <laughs> I'm trying to be better. You also haven't Look, died yet, imagine that. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Let's fo focus less on my shortcomings and more on my knowledge of yeah. <laughs> but this is my podcast. Um, okay. Let's see. Uh, why, okay. I've been to the optometrist a fair amount and they have all these different tests to like test the health of my eyes. And one of them is like, I stare in front of me and they have like little like dots, like little that I have to like, and I've got like a little clicker. Oh, and wow. uh, are you familiar with this one at all? Yeah, yeah, I'm just surprised that they had you do it. I mean, like, oh, I've had to do it a lot. Oh, and, are uh, they concerned that you have glaucoma or something? I have no idea. Hmm. They're probably just milking my insurance dry, and, uh, and it's probably true because there's <laughs> really no indication, at least as far as I'm aware. I haven't looked at your eyes, but unless you have, unless there's concern for glaucoma, there's very little reason to do a visual, that's called a visual field test. So okay. uh, well, it's typically, there's different kinds, but we use the Humphrey visual field and uh, the uh, company that makes it actually, you know, doesn't tell you how they calculate, um, you know, the various metrics that it spits out at the end, it's proprietary, but, uh, but right. in essence, it, it uh, tests your peripheral vision. So, right. uh, so you're looking straight ahead and then you're clicking when you see the light, right? You don't want to be moving your eye and people hate the test because it's, yep. you know, it's very, it's like yep. weirdly stressful. <laughs> it is. Yeah. It's like I'm taking a test, like, like I'm back in yeah. college and exactly. I'm taking a test and I, and I feel like I'm making up the dots sometimes. It's like, did I see exactly. something or did I not? Because it's and peripheral it's like you're, vision. It's like you're taking a final exam and you'll never find out what the results were. You know, <laughs> exactly. You'll never yeah, know it's... if the, the which answers were correct and which weren't. Right. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, that's that's the test for. Um, so there's two reasons to get that. Uh, the first is glaucoma. So glaucoma is a chronic disease of the optic nerve, uh, which is a degenerative disease of the optic nerve, and it's associated with high pressure of the eye. And so, um, uh, so that's that's another test that that everyone will do. The eye doctor will do in the office is to test your eye pressure, and uh, if it's high, then it's more you know it's potentially a concern for glaucoma. But uh, you you lose your peripheral vision, but you don't even notice. So that's that's why when they do that test is to pick up any peripheral vision loss that you haven't really even noticed. And then the other thing that they do it for is like strokes or brain lesions which can cause uh, sometimes characteristic patterns of visual field loss. So um, mm -hmm. if you have a tumor, let's say on the right side of the brain, uh, in, in various spots on the right side of the brain, you can have left-sided vision loss in both eyes. And so you can kind of see, you can see almost like, you know, it's like both in both, most, some people will be like, oh, there's a problem with my left eye. But the answer is, it's actually, there's a problem with both <laughs> eyes uh, in the left, 
in like the you know left-sided visual field. So, or if you have a tumor that's compressing the pituitary gland, that 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 call, causes what we call bitemporal hemianopsia, which is you lose your peripheral vision, both on both hmm. sides, preserved nasally. But in the temporal field, which is off to the sides, you lose vision. So basically, if, you know, in back before uh, MRI and CT was ready, readily available, these were very useful tests to get to kind of to, to localize some of these brain lesions. Uh, but it's kind of cool when you pick it up, you know, you're, it's like, it's a little bit of detective work. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. well, I, I so far have not had a stroke or glaucoma <laughs> or, or any of those tumor. things. Yeah, good. So does that good. mean I passed? That means I'm passing the test. So, so far, so far. Yeah, just well, like you don't have diabetes yet. <laughs> right right um okay but what i have found is like there there i've been told at least there are like blind spots in in uh, in your vision field right like it's only if you're uh, looking I, at the laser <laughs> yeah i like i had this laser pointer and i just kept it trained on one no not, not. disclaimer do not be like carl you're staring <laughs> at the sun <laughs> uh no um there is a part of your visual field that is um that is just a normal blind spot right and and your your brain essentially paints over it uh, am i getting this more or less right yeah yeah that's correct um and it's the uh it's called the physiologic blind spot and that's where the optic nerve is in the eye in the in the retina so the optic nerve uh is you know as i said before is where all of the nerves the photoreceptors, you know, they, the photoreceptors are all over the retina and they receive the visual input and then they transmit those to the nerves and the nerves all travel into the optic nerve. It's like, it's like the, like the highway, you know, like all of the, you know, they're all moving out of the city of the retina into the highway of the optic nerve. And right at that highway, there's so many nerves congregated there that there are no photoreceptors. So you're not actually using that space in the back of the eye to see anything that's just where it's being transmitted. So, um, so it's, uh, that's, that's what the blind spot corresponds to. Okay. Yeah. Nice. All right. So, um, one of the things that I, they ask me a lot when I go to the eye doctor is whether or not I've got a bunch like floaters or flashers. Mm -hmm. What are those? Um, so, so flashing lights and floaters can, be associated with retinal detachment or retinal tears or retinal holes. And so that's, that's why they ask that. Um, if you have uh, traction on the retina, so as I mentioned before, you have this vitreous humor in the back of the eye. Um, and that there's, a, it's not, you know, it's, it's not just like a jelly that sits in there. There's like a membrane associated with it. And that membrane is, it can be adherent to the retina. Um, the retina is like the wallpaper on the back of the eye and that's where all your nerves are and so when the vitreous especially as you age um well as you age the vitreous will start to liquefy and as it does it sort of contracts and so there's a, there's a membrane around the vitreous that is adherent to the retina at certain locations and as it contracts it can kind of tug on the retina and that can cause flashes of light um, because you're stimulating the photoreceptors um in there and you know uh and then they they cause these flashes of light, and um, 
uh, you know, around age 50, 55, 60, a lot of people will have what, what's called a posterior vitreous detachment, which is when the vitreous kind of pulls away from the back of the eye. And when that happens, uh, there's like a 10 to 15% chance that it causes a tear on the retina. And so when you and, and often, but either way, you'll have a lot of new floaters and a lot of new, you know, you, and sometimes flashes of light when that happens. And uh, usually it's fine. Usually there's no, it's no big deal. But uh, when that happens, it can it can cause a retinal detachment. So that's why they ask you that to to kind of if you're like, oh yeah, I had a bunch of flashes of light, and now I have you know a thousand new floaters, then uh, they're going to be on the lookout for uh, a retinal detachment. Uh, okay, so that's the flashers. The floaters are you said they the those those are what uh, those, so the floaters are um, condensations like pro, like protein condensations in the vitreous. So like they are they are actually. You know, everyone has floaters. If you, if you look right now, if you look at the, you know, if you look at a white surface and you have, a, you know, especially, uh, they're especially evident when you're like looking at the sky um, mm. because when it's in bright light conditions and you're looking at like a solid surface, you can, you'll start to notice them. Or if you're reading, you might notice them kind of just floating around. And uh, generally they're not too visually significant. Some people have very large and uh, annoying floaters that really bother them. Um, but, uh, in uh, in most cases, not a huge deal, but they're just basically little pieces of protein that are floating around in the vitreous. So uh, as you move your eye, they kind of move with it. Is there anything you can do to get rid of them? Um, no, most of the time you just start to, if you have like a, you know new ones or whatever, most of the time you, your brain just kind of gets used to them and you just ignore them. But uh, if they're really bothering you, then you can have retina surgery, basically a vitrectomy where they go in, um, they, they put some uh, trocars, they call them in the sides of the eye. And uh, they use a, a cutter, uh, where basically they extract the fluid or the, the vitreous, and then they fill it with <clears throat> just saline solution. And uh, that's, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't personally opt for that uh, solution unless they were really, really bothering you. But people do it, and they call it—they uh, call it a floaterectomy. Um, wow, that sounds yeah. radical. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's—it's not—it's uh, not covered by insurance. It's like a, it's kind of like a, an elective, very elective procedure, and it's a little controversial. But people will do it. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Well, uh, I won't be doing that. But um, once again, you just said the word cutter. Uh, around an eye. So anything that has to do with cutting my eye. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, that's only because the vitreous is so sticky. You have to cut it at the same time as extracting it. So, you know, anyway, it's, uh, Nobody wants I, that. Shouldn't have, I shouldn't have said that. And, you know, thanks for bringing that up. I'll, uh, I'll try to, um, uh, <laughs> yeah. police my, my language. Yeah. You're, you're making more. me slightly queasy. I appreciate if we could just use like, <laughs> yeah. use words. <laughs> Yeah. Not cutting, not cutting. No, uh, yeah. massaging. You massage. Mas massaging yeah. with the edge of a blade. Yes. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I learned probably before the Death Cab for Cutie song, but and maybe you're not familiar with this Death Cab for Cutie song, but the beginning of it is uh, when I see you, I really see you upside down. Mm. Um, it's, a, it's a good one if you're a Death Cab for Cutie fan. If not, it's still a good one. Okay, um, it's not. <laughs> I see. I saw them in concert once. 
Okay, there we go. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I qualify as a fan, but uh, yeah, right. I like I like some of this stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, okay. So are they correct? When I see you, I, I mean, this is something everyone has heard, and, and you know, uh, the the light comes in. What am I actually seeing you upside down? Uh, I mean, it just depends on what you mean, right? It depends on your frame of reference, right? Uh, in terms of uh, relativity, you know um are we all are we stationary are we moving through space thousands mm. of miles, you know, thousands of miles an hour so i mean the uh i think the um what they're referring to is the fact that when light is projected onto the retina uh what the the uh the image is um perceived upside down or the images is is, uh, is transmitted upside down but uh, but then it's perceived right side up Right, your brain flips it right side up, but the top of your retina sees the bottom of the of vision. The, or okay. the bottom of the retina is responsible for the top of the vision. Right is left, and left is right. And to make it even more confusing, when we examine the eye, it flips everything too. So everything we look at in the eye is upside down and backwards. So the same way light is kind of uh, is going in. So, um, but uh, but yeah. So yes and yes and no. Got it. Right. Perfect. I love the question distinctly. Yes. And no. <laughs> yeah, I, I love doctors that answer yes and no. It's my favorite. Yeah. So, is this the uh, what should I do? Well, you could do this, or you could not do it. You know. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Um, you already talked about blindness. That's something that really interests me. I um, I don't have a lot of experience with. Um, interacting with uh, the blind community, but there are like what I've understood is that like what you said that there are gradients for um, for blindness. And um, so so the people that we traditionally uh, identify with with being blind are are they um, like is their retina not attached? Do they not? I mean, there's because there is a level of, of blindness where there's just nothing going on between the eye and the brain, right? Mm hmm. Yeah, so uh, there are so there are many causes of blindness, and so it really depends on the cause and the profoundness. Uh, the profoundness of the blindness depends on the cause and the severity of the pathology, right? So, if you, uh, I'll, you know, I can list a few reasons: retinal detachment that will cause blindness, um, but uh, even a detached retina can still have some vision. You can still sometimes perceive light. Uh, or hand motion, you know, typically diseases of the retina of the retina will not, it's, it's rare for diseases of the retina to cause um, no light perception vision. Uh, yeah, I'll say, I'll say that it's rare, um, which is the most profound level of vision loss, um, because even people who are considered blind, so legal blindness is the, uh, it's considered to be 2200 or worse. And so that's when you uh, at 20 feet can see what some what an average person can see at 200 feet, and so you you know that's that's considered legally blind. So anything worse than that is legally blind. But 2200 is a lot better than light perception. Um, you can still read large print. Uh, you could still you know make out uh, people coming down the hallway. Um, you could probably still walk. Um, mo you know most of the time. But uh, but when if, if your light perception, you know, all you can see is light 
if your hand motion, you know, you can, you can be like, I know the hand is moving up and down or left and right count fingers, you know, but, but uh, so there's very de varying degrees of, of blindness, um, but diseases like glaucoma and stage glaucoma, that's often, that can often lead to no light perception vision um, because the is no longer transmitting any visual information to the brain. And, and that's the point. So I, I'm guess my, so with, with no light perception blindness, there's no treatment that an ophthalmologist can do that will restore vision to any meaningful level. That's yeah, that's, that's large by and large. That's correct. Yeah. Once you're no light perception, there's not much coming back. If, if let's say your light perception or your hand motion and you have a dense cataract, you can do cataract surgery. And if assuming there's nothing else going on in the eye, you get the cataract out, you put an, an artificial lens in that can be 2020, you know? So, okay. um, uh, so it really does depend on the on the the cause of blindness. But if you're hand motion or light perception and you have end stage glaucoma, then that's an irreversible cause of blindness. And so uh, there's nothing you can do about that. Retinal detachment, if it's detached all the way, you can reattach it, but you may go from like hand motion to at best 2200 vision, 2100 vision. You know, you're not going to get back once the retina is detached it's uh it's become pretty damaged and so even by reattaching it you preserve the anatomy of the eye and you're less likely to have you know problems with the the appearance of the eye but but your vision is is not gonna go back to the way it was okay yeah a lot of different causes of, of blindness um and uh different degrees of blindness it's it's a it's a pretty broad spectrum right okay and um, is there anything that we can, uh, the layman needs to do or know about uh, eye health as far as what they can do to help prevent later uh, diseases later? I mean, you mentioned like, obviously, don't be, don't become diabetic. If you're not a type one diabetic, don't become a type two diabetic. Um, yes. But other than that, what, uh, what insights can you give the layman to uh, help them with their eye health? Um, you know, there's, there are, there, there's not a ton to be done uh, in terms of preventative care for the eye. Uh, you know, systemic conditions, right? Don't get, uh, don't sleep in your contacts. <laughs> don't, uh, don't, don't get diabetes. And if you do, keep your blood sugar under control. Uh, you know, treat your high blood pressure. You know, you can have strokes to the brain the same way you can have stroke to the eye um, or an occlusion of a, an artery or a vein that can cause blindness. Um, 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 what about wearing sunglasses outside? Is that is that actually beneficial long term to eye health? Yeah, that's a good idea. Um, if you are in the sun a lot and without sunglasses, you can start developing cataracts more quickly, and you can also um, you can also develop what's called a trigium, which is like an overgrowth of the conjunctiva, the membrane over the white part of the eye that can kind of grow onto the cornea. Nice, we mm -hmm. see that a lot. Um, and so uh, there are definitely drawbacks to um, to not using sunglasses if you're in the sun a lot. For the for most uh, people, you know, for most people who are who work indoors most of the time, it's not a huge deal. Um, but it's a it's not uh, it's not a bad idea to use sunglasses for sure. Okay, so then on on the flossing. same <laughs> flossing, yes, you're an eye dentist. 
Yeah, what, yeah. What is the equivalent of flossing? I mean, uh, do I like, scrape my eye with a Q-tip, or I mean, what's? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I wouldn't recommend that. Uh, but uh, <laughs> you can do warm compresses, artificial tears. You know, that's the, that's kind of the the uh, catch-all treatment for discomfort. But you know, for people who don't have dry eyes or experience issues with that, then it's like not a huge deal. Okay. Um, this is uh, where we get back to the "I can cry" song, right? And yeah, exactly. Just watch, uh, watch a lot of sad movies, and uh, <laughs> you know, it's just like if you immerse yourself in tragedy, then you know, <laughs> generally speaking, it's great, it's great for your ocular health. Okay, all right. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, I, I think once you're of a certain age, you know after age 50 or so probably you know you should probably get checked out regularly for um to make sure you don't have glaucoma make sure you don't have you know develop you know if you're developing a cataract you'll start to notice that's the indication for taking it out is that your vision's blurry and you're not correcting with glasses and uh so you you know you'll know the cataracts aren't really cataracts aren't really dangerous but yeah flashes of floaters if you start having those go to go to the emergency room because you could develop a, a retinal detachment sometimes it starts small you just see flashes and floaters and then it progresses and then your retina is detached. And if you get it fixed before that happens, then, uh, then you have a good chance of saving your, your eyesight. But if it's, once it detaches, then you're in your bad shape. So. Okay. Okay. Yeah. One last off the wall question before we can wrap uh, here in, uh, and I don't think they teach you this in medical school, but, but maybe they do animal eyes. Mm. How familiar you, how familiar are you with animal eyes and how similar, like a lot of people out there listening to us right now have a dog or a cat, maybe a guinea pig. And they're all are thinking, they're... I could have those eyes. <laughs> <laughs> have you seen Will Smith's seven pounds? Can we, can we use the eyes of animals <laughs> to put, uh, the actual question is, how similar are animal eyes to human eyes? <laughs> can we transplant Animal eyes into humans? Is that what you're asking? I was moving that way, but I was no. trying to move away from the slapstick silliness. Uh, but yes, I'll take the answer to that as well. Uh, you know, um, as much as I would love to say yes, um, the uh, the answer is no. Uh, but, you know, animals' eyes are pretty analogous, you know? Um, the uh, They have all the same structures, more or less. Mice, uh, I've I've dissected mice eyes for various research projects and uh, they have their lens actually fills the entire eye, um, which is interesting. So the lens is much, much bigger compared to the eye than ours. Um, and uh, they have, um, uh, let's see, I think, so, you know, I, I think dogs, for instance, have a lower visual acuity estimated to be around 2070. Uh, whereas humans, you know, see 2020, and then they they have limited color vision. They have better night vision. They have more rods than than cones. So rods are the type of photoreceptor that 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 uh, can perceive um, light and movement, uh, especially in dim lighting conditions. And then uh, and then there's a, a cats and dogs have and some other animals they have a special layer of tissue called the tap tapetum lucidum uh, that reflects light back to the retina. And so that's what you notice if you see if you ever see like a cat uh, in in darkness, you know their their eyes are shining, right? And or like a right. leopard, or, you know, whatever, like kind of the the creepy eyes looking at you from the darkness. Um, mm -hmm. That's because of that extra reflect reflective layer they have in the retina that helps to um, uh, 
uh, augment their night vision. Um, so humans' eyes do not have that. But uh, and then you know, often the way that eyes are set, you know, horses have really great peripheral vision, but they don't think they don't. I think they probably don't have as good binocular vision. Uh, yeah, yeah. That, not using their eyes uh... together too often, but, uh, <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, eyes. There's okay. a whole world of eyes out there, Carl. And, That's true. Uh, I. You know, <laughs> uh, it would take another podcast episode to uh, to really come, delve into the answers. To yeah, question. come back, come back for our next podcast: the basics of animal eyes. Yeah, you need uh, you need a uh, you need a, a, a veterinary ophthalmologist, and they are the, is that a thing? They do, they do exist. I think. They oh do, wow! Pet they eyes do, matter. They do cat cat erect surgery. <laughs> oh, all right, nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's so quite the quite the way to end the podcast there i know that's pretty bad but, uh, <laughs> uh well i appreciate you coming on and uh, sharing your knowledge and at this point i think we can grade the podcast a success at least from my side ian so you can still claim family relation or wait that's well you, you're not you won't disown me i guess i won't disown you but whether or not you disown me you know that's still that's up to you We'll see. I'll, I'll probably listen to the final results and uh, given <laughs> how, how hard it is to listen to your own voice in any recording, uh, you know, this may be the last time you hear you hear from me on a, a platform like this. Yeah, yeah. Well, you, uh, you did a great job and we appreciate all of your insights and knowledge and the uh, ability that we had to silence Tim in the end was truly meaningful. Um, yeah, that was the highlight. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks. And we will uh, see you guys back next podcast.